the outline there should say sharing Jesus in a hostile world. And it is the first of two sermons uh, we are doing today on the same theme. The government recently launched a review into the global persecution of Christians. Uh, this is being done by the FCO, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, and they are doing it following criticism that the government is not doing enough. As you know, the government has been wrapped up in the case of Asia Abid uh, in Pakistan, uh, who we have yet not done anything in terms of offering asylum. So in good sort of government machinery type work, uh, they've got a reporter, they're doing a review first uh, before they do anything. Uh, that's my take on it anyway. Uh, this is an important issue, this issue of persecution, because according to the new report by Open Doors, the World Watch List 2019, published this year, the persecution of followers of Jesus around the world is actually getting worse and worse. So five years ago, only North Korea was ranked in the extreme category. In 2019, 11 countries are now in the extreme bracket. Severe persecution. And as you read that report, actually, it is a sobering reminder that wherever followers of Jesus are, we face opposition and hostility for our faith in Jesus. Even here in the UK, even in our own lives, some of the opposition we face make headline news. We read about it in the newspaper. I'm thinking of, uh, for example, recently the girl guide leader uh, who recently lost her post in, uh, in December for allowing girls to use the traditional promise to do my duty to God. Instead, she lost her job because she didn't use, she, she used that instead of saying, I pledge true to myself and my beliefs. And she just lost uh, her job for, uh, for simply telling them, for simply allowing them to say, I pledge my duty to God. Now that's some of that news makes the news and there are many other areas where believers are being challenged for our faith here. In fact, in the House of Commons at the moment, there's a big push to stop prayers. Uh, being people praying before they start to parliament. Uh, again, that's a level of opposition that we, we, we read about. But much of the opposition actually to our faith uh, in Christ is only known to ourselves. Friends no longer talk to you because you are open about your faith in Jesus. Your marital relationship is perhaps strained because your spouse struggles with your love for Jesus. Or your love for your desire to raise children in a biblical way. Some, some, some spouses struggle with that. Or maybe colleagues at work cut you off from certain things because you're always raising difficult moral questions about the way they work, about the way where you work functions. So some of it is headline news. Some of it is just known to ourselves as sort of opposition. Well, we are currently on the road with Jesus in Mark. And for those of you who were here last Sunday evening, we saw that we left Jesus in Nazareth, facing opposition from his relatives, his brothers and sisters, and the whole town, basically. This is his hometown. They were opposing him in Nazareth. And we said that last Sunday evening, that Jesus' experience in Nazareth actually is part of a general trend of increasing opposition that will eventually lead to his death. So actually understanding Mark 1 to 6 is pivotal to understanding the book to see where things are going. This opposition will lead all the way to the cross. And we said last Sunday evening that our Lord is a rejected man. 
The life of Jesus is a life of hostility from the world. So as we think about open doors, as we think about what's happening in, in Korea and other places, as we think about the opposition we face in our own lives, we shouldn't be surprised, actually. Because followers of Jesus are followers of Jesus. And as our Lord faced hostility and opposition, we will face hostility and opposition to our faith. The Lord Jesus himself said this, John 15, verse 20. You may know he says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, or if they opposed me, they also persecute you, oppose you. If they kept my word, right, they will also keep yours. So there's a wonderful promise there. That, that actually in the middle of persecution, uh, if we share Jesus, and, uh, and some might well believe him. So the question for us is this. How does our Lord Jesus, knowing the reality of hostility to us, how does the Lord Jesus expect us to live in a world that is opposed to him? How does he expect you to live at home? How does he expect you to live even in the church when you face opposition in the church? How does he expect you to live in the, in the country around uh, or, or even where you work? Well, the, the answer actually is in Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 7 to verse 13. Uh, is in today's passage. Uh, because we see actually that when Jesus faces persecution, in verse 6, Jesus presses on. And he's commanding his followers actually to do the same. Do you look at verse 6, which you, you have in the Bible. It says, And he marveled after he faced persecution, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he goes on to say, And he went about among the villages teaching. He doesn't let persecution stop him. He doesn't let opposition to the work of God stop his work. But even more than that, he actually calls the twelve now to go on. Look at verse 7 there. And he called the twelve and began to send them out. I mean, it's amazing. He's being opposed, but he actually doubles, triples, well, times twelve. He sends more people out. He's one now, he wants to have all of them just go out there. Is, uh, is, is responding to the persecution and the opposition to him by doing more work. And so the big truth I want us to look at just this, this today, from verse 7 to 13, is that Jesus wants us to keep sharing his message regardless of opposition or hostility to us. Jesus wants us to keep sharing his message regardless of opposition or hostility to us. And this morning we're just going to look at verse 7. This evening, we'll look at verse 8 to verse 13. So we're looking at it in two parts. So this morning, I just want to share three truths that we learn here about how we respond to hostility in this world, how we should live towards Jesus. The first lesson we learn here is that we must share Jesus with his call. We must share Jesus in a hostile world with full confidence that we truly belong to Jesus. That we've already been called to live for him. We're going to start there. If you're facing hostility, be sure that you truly belong to Christ. It's vital. Verse 7 says, And he called the twelve, okay, and began to send them out. But notice he says, he called the twelve. He's sending out the twelve. The number twelve should remind us of Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, which we looked at, where Jesus shows his 12 men as his followers, and it marked the beginning of a new community. 
So now, having already chosen them, brought them in a relationship, he's now sending them out. And what Mark is telling us is that Jesus is not simply sending anyone to share the good news of Jesus. He's sending those he has already called to himself. You cannot share a Jesus that you do not have. You cannot even resist hostility to to your faith if you do not have Jesus, really, if you have never truly been converted. You cannot even desire to answer the call in the face of opposition unless you already have a relationship with Jesus. And actually, that should encourage you immediately as a side point, because if you're facing hostility and you're holding on to Christ, that does say that you truly do belong to him. And you should be encouraged by that. If you're facing opposition at home, at work, and even in this world, and you're still pressing on, well, it says that you really have been changed. You really do belong to him. And that's a wonderful thing. But the first thing, the only implication I want to draw out here, really, is more church-wide. Because what we're learning here, that we must have first have a relationship to share Jesus, has huge implications for how we, as a church, here in Bexley, if go about doing evangelism or face hostility to our work. It means that, first of all, in order for us to share Jesus effectively as a church, we must have truly, a truly converted church membership. People that have committed them to the life here must be genuinely born again. Why? First, because Jesus is not interested in sending people who refuse to surrender to him and then sending them to go around to talk about him. That's not how he works. Right? It is like a man who never talks to his wife at home. Right? But in public, he tells people how great his wife is. Will the wife be happy? Eh? Ladies, will you be happy? Of course you won't be happy. You want your husband to really love you at home, and so when he's talking, it is authentic. Otherwise, you feel insulted by that. In the same way, God is not interested in sending people to talk to him, to talk about him, who do not know him. Secondly, the other reason is that people who are not genuinely born again have no passion, really, to share Jesus. They can, but they have no real God-given passion to do it. Why would an unbeliever do outreach? I mean, think about it. Unless they're just going out to make money somehow or conning people. They do, but really that's not outreach. And why would an unbeliever pray for the lost? Why would they seek to understand how to share the gospel? They can't. They have no passion. And the lesson for us here is that relationship with Jesus is prior to sharing Jesus. Therefore, where a church membership is dominated by people who are not genuine believers, it is no longer a body of Jesus. It is Frankenstein's monster. Such churches can never evangelize because its members have no love or passion for Jesus that will drive them to share Jesus with the lost. The early church father, John Chrysostom, said, I cannot believe in the salvation of anyone. And he would say, I cannot believe in any church which does not work for the salvation of the lost. So he said, I cannot believe in the salvation of anyone who does not work for the salvation of his neighbor. The point here is simple, isn't it? One of the marks of a truly health church is that it has people who not only speak to Jesus, but are zealous to tell others how lovely Jesus is. That Jesus is so wonderful. 
It's so amazing. And they know him for themselves. And it is that love for Christ, our Redeemer, that then drives us to share the gospel. And so as we continue the revitalization, revi- I like that word, although no, I can't pronounce it, the rev- revitalization of the church, <clears throat> we have to understand, beloved, that evangelistic churches are churches made up of genuine converts. It's a lesson I've had to learn, actually, as I've been here for the last two, 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 two years plus. Because it's important, really, in the sense that I've had to understand that some of my frustration usually stem from failing to understand this truth. The idea is not for me to tell you, go and evangelize. I must present Jesus to you, the wounded Savior. And with genuine conversion and trust in him, then you have the passion to share him. You cannot share Jesus you do not love. So the direct application for us here as a church, for those of us God has truly called to himself, not necessarily members, given the prior caveat, is that we must pray that God builds us up as a fellowship here with truly converted members. That's where evangelism starts. And he called the twelve people who were in a prior relationship with him. There's a caveat there, by the way, Judas is among the twelve, so that reminds us that not everybody he's sending out really belongs to him, and that is a, another thing. But we need to ask ourselves, isn't it, how are we praying for this church to be made up of truly converted members? People that are committed to him. People that truly love Jesus, and that's what we should be praying for. Because we cannot share Jesus in the hostile world. We can't even support our brothers and sisters that are struggling with their faith in different ways if we ourselves are not truly a new community in Jesus. We must share Jesus with his call. That's the first point. The second point we see here is that we must share Jesus with his community. How do we respond? Do we share Jesus in a world hostile to us? Well, we must go with his community. Notice here that Jesus is not sending followers like Rambo, right? They are not going out like Rambo. They are not going out like Superman, right? Notice here they are going out in two. Did you see that? Look at verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out. How? Two by two. Everyone has a partner. Why is Jesus doing this? Well, because first of all, Jesus is loving and caring. He knows that sharing his message in a hostile world is a declaration of war against Satan. And lone rangers are easy targets for Satan. I mean, we can have a whole sermon around this. Satan loves having people one by one. That's his entire strategy. Satan does not want you to be spiritually accountable to anyone. He wants you on your own. And so when you're discouraged in your family life, he wants you not to have anyone you can truly turn to. If you have some addiction to pornography, because you don't really attach yourself to a church, he wants he just dive you in. He, he, he presses on with more and more things because there's no one who's holding you to account. There is no pastor visiting your home. There is no church member that you truly know who sees you every Sunday that you can talk to. That's Satan's strategy. It has always been since Genesis. Satan's work has always been to divide the family of God. 
to drive Ken out away from his home. Not the, remember that family in Genesis actually was both the spiritual family and the physical family. I want you to preach Genesis properly, but I'm diverting. The point is that Jesus is always trying to split people off from the true family of God. And Jesus, um, Satan is always trying to do that, right? Yeah, she said that right. Yeah, Satan is always trying to, to split people from the family of God. You should correct me. That. I don't have an idea. Right. Yeah, it, it is Satan who's doing that. The Lord wants us together, right? Let's get that right. Because Jesus knows this. He knows that Satan is at work, right? And he has gifted you his family, the church. And the church is here to nurture you, support you. Because living for Jesus is a community project. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13 says this. And he gave the apostles... The evangelists, the prophets, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. If you write that down, you can look it up. Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13 says this. And he gave the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's simply saying that followers of Jesus are a body and God has deposited gifts. We are facing Satan in this world. How do we respond to him? By drawing on the gifts that God has deposited in the church. If I'm struggling, perhaps the Lord has gifted Brother Ola with discernment. And even before I say anything, you will notice hmm, something is not right in Shola's life. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to make him a prayer. That can only happen in a church. If I'm struggling with a relationship at home, my spouse, I'll have a sister in the church. If you're a lady, you can reach out to and, and, and hear. Because God has deposited his gifts in the church to help us. So we grow by being plugged into the community of God. We first Jesus in a, we first Satan in an hostile world. What do I keep saying? We first Satan in an hostile world by being the community of Jesus. We share Jesus by being in community. Now for some of us here, now might be a good time for you to think seriously about committing yourself as a member to this fellowship. Not merely as someone who attends. If it's possible, I appreciate this is impossible for some of you for other reasons. But it's something worth thinking about and taking actually, praying that it becomes a reality, even if it's not possible at the moment. Why do I say that? Well, this past week, a baby girl was found abandoned in a shopping bag in a park in near freezing overnight temperatures in East Town. Did you pick up that story? Some of you would have, right? Some, the mother had dumped the child there. And the police are still looking for the mother, right? Does anybody here know why the police are still looking for the mother? Why are they doing that? Because every child needs a mother. And actually it was interesting, the police said, the mother needs the child. And they are are really worried for the mother now, because they understand that no mother would really do this unless the conditions, something had gone wrong somewhere. And they think she needs help. Because they realize the child needs the mom, and the mom needs the child. Are you truly born again this morning? Then know that God is your father. And the church is your mother. Go to her. 
Don't stay in the cold. Identify yourself visibly with her. The church father, Cyprian, said, the African church father, he said, he who does not have the church for his mother does not have God for his father. Cyprian does not mean we need the church to be saved. No, what it means is that commitment to God comes with commitment to his family. Remember, only the devil likes splitting families. God wants you to be with your true family in Christ. And the first step for you committing yourself to the body of Christ is obeying the command of God for you to be baptized upon the profession of faith. If you've come to faith in Jesus, ensure that you are now baptized as well, so that you publicly identify yourself with the church of God visibly. And if, you've, and if you've already been baptized, obey God in baptism. It's an act of obedience. And also obey him also in this important matter of physically identifying with his local family. And I just mean entering the book somewhere, being ticked off. But to be really part of a community of God here at Bexley East or wherever God has placed you to be, or wherever God leads you. It might not be here, it might be somewhere else, but you've got to make that a priority so you can be genuinely in community. For some of us here, we are already members, aren't we? In, in this already members, committed ourselves here as members. And if you want to know more about membership, do speak to me afterwards. For us who are already members here, the question for us is simple. How are we members in name only? As I speak to pastors, and I'm going to try and restrain myself here a little bit, as I speak to pastors, they, are very, they tell me about this phenomena of Sunday morning only Christians. And one of the things they make the point is that they only see their people on Sunday morning only. Which means their people don't, have, they don't even come to evening service, actually they don't come to midweek. And many of them actually do not have relationships with one another. And so some of the pastors raise the question, what happens one day God sort of just gets rid of the building? Will the church still be there? Uh, as it happens. But the point here is we have to ask ourselves, isn't it? Are we Sunday Christians only? Because you see, as the 12 disciples went out in pairs, what were they doing as they went out in pairs? You can imagine some of these pairs. It must be quite interesting. As, as, <laughs> I don't want to use one example, but imagine uh, Peter went out with his brother. What were they doing? He, he would have been speaking with Andrew, isn't it? Nurturing one another, caring for one another while they are on the road. They would have been discipling one another. Even as they were being discipled by our Lord Jesus Christ, they are going out to bite him. And in the same way, we need to invest and develop and disciple each other in deep and meaningful relationship. This is what Jesus has modeled for us here with the disciples, being with them for three years, nurturing them and then sending them out. And this is what we see in Acts, the church, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Mark, Paul and Silas, Always in two, always in deep relationship, discipling one another. And I thank God, actually. I thank God that we are seeing signs of this in the life of the church. I thank God that God is raising people among us who are longing to deepen relationship with each other. And I thank God that God is sending us people actually, that already some of them have experienced this, and they love to see it deepened even more here. Some of you love Jesus, and you love his people. And I'm so encouraged by that. The Lord must be so delighted with you. 
and you desire to grow in investing your lives in his people, some of you, you are asking Jesus to help you do this more and more because you get it. Some of you are on your knees. You're trying to do this. It's difficult for you, right? But you are pleading with Jesus to help you overcome selfishness that stops us making time for others. You're praying that Jesus overcomes the shame of opening up your life to others. But you're praying. You know it's hard, but you're praying that you can really be in redemptive relationship. Is that you here? Well, beloved, you're on the right track. You're obeying Jesus. And so keep growing in community. And keep asking Jesus to grow you more and more. Because God has saved you. And his life, you, you know his life. And you have this inner compassion. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You have this inner compassion to see the life of Jesus reproduced in people you meet in the church and beyond. So press on. Keep pleasing our Savior. And keep asking him to grow you in his grace. In true fellowship. Because we see here, in a hostile world, we must be sure we belong to him. We must be sure of his call. And we must go with his community. We can't face Satan alone. We must face him with, his, with, 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 with God's church. The final point uh, this morning I just want to share is that we not only go with his community, we must share Jesus with his capacity. By that I mean that we must share Jesus with his power and his authority. Notice here that the disciples are not just being sent to preach Jesus, and they have been sent to preach Jesus. Jesus is bestowing on them his authority to cast out evil spirits which may confront them. Let's read on verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure a police officer, maybe you, you've been a police officer before, but I'm pretty sure a police officer cannot, cannot wake up one day and just make another person act as a police officer. When I was a civil servant, it was quite interesting. Sometimes the boss would have something called uh, deputy director for a day or something, right? And it was only for a day, and you had no real power to him. I mean, you are there. All you were doing was reading his emails. That's all. And they him play invisible golf. My boss used to do that. It's like the girl you see in the office. Not with real golf, just invisible. It was quite interesting. But the point is that if you have power in life, you don't often have power to just give it to someone else. You can't just one day say, look, you are the boss. And you often don't have that authority. Because the power you hold often is not something you own. It's been bestowed on you. Theresa May can't just appoint another prime minister to act for. Or with the same power. But Jesus does. Jesus can transfer his authority because he owns his authority. Jesus is sharing here his power because he's the all-powerful God who holds all power and authority. And he can give it wherever he pleases. He doesn't need anyone's permission. Why is Jesus sharing his power here? Well, the first reason he's sending them out with his authority is simply because Jesus wants to give them his authority so that it helps spread the good news of Jesus. Okay? Because they're going to go out there with this power and authority, with freedom to cast out unclean spirits. And when they do that, right, people should be able to see, oh, wow, <laughs> if we saw what happened to Legion. And you guys can also do the same thing here. And then people will say, ah, so you belong to Jesus. 
Because the power is unique. So as they do the same things that Jesus is doing, driving out evil spirits, people will be able to listen closely to them. Right? And there will be exceptional cases, I think, where demons must be resisted directly and indeed cast out for a person to truly trust in Jesus. So one of the reasons Jesus gives them this power is because sometimes for a legion type person to be converted, the demons have to be first driven out. So again, it's adding the work of the gospel. That's one reason Jesus has given this power to the church, even today. The second and main reason, I think, is this, that Jesus is sharing his power simply because Jesus loves us. We can't miss that. All that Jesus has belongs to the church. And Jesus desires, we know where his body, right? And he's the head. So Jesus desires to share everything he has with us. Now, as I've said, many of us struggle to give power away to people, right? To delegate responsibility. Power corrupts even the best people. And even what I've found is that even when we share the power we have with others, you know, when the boss gives you a bit of power, you have to earn it for him to give you that power or she to give you the power. We only give to people who deserve it. But Jesus is not like that. He's not only beyond the corruption of power, he loves sharing his power with sinners who do not deserve him. That is what, when I looked at this, this is the most amazing thing I found out about this passage. Because I looked at the 12 and I asked myself, I wonder how you read the performance of the 12 disciples so far. How do you read them? Since Jesus called them, how have they been performing up to now? What grade would you give them? Any grade? D. D or you're, you're generous. I, I will give them E bordering on F. I know why you give them perhaps D. But I'll give them E bordering on F. They are following, so they deserve a bit of credit. But really their performance has been terrible. And we'll ask the teachers later to, to grade them properly. But, because when you see the disciples, they've been questioning Jesus. They have been accusing even of not caring in Mark 4. And lest we forget, they have a traitor among them. Judas, whose secret opposition to Jesus, even now, is growing and growing. Well, they're a terrible bunch. And they should be fired by Jesus from the team, humanly speaking. But Jesus actually does the opposite. He gives them a promotion. <laughs> Sometimes we, I used to joke when I was in government that often what happens is that when somebody's very terrible, what happens usually is that they're promoted out of the job. Right? <laughs> Give them something better so they don't cause problems and bring in something better. Right? But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is actually promoting them because he's loving towards sinners such as us. He's sending them out in his name, in his capacity, as his ambassadors. It is amazing grace, isn't it, from our Lord. It is vintage Jesus. He gives more and more grace to those who don't deserve it. And that's why I truly love Jesus. When I look at this, I say, Lord, I love you. Because this is grace, isn't it? There is no limit to your love for me. It is all grace. And I thought about this, and I thought, this is the same amazing grace that has visited me on that rugged cross where my glorious Redeemer bled and died to take away my sin. It is the same grace, isn't it, that raised us with him to new life. 
It is the same grace that ensures us that we are now sat with him in the heavenly places. It is the same grace that guarantees that our Lord is coming again for us. As our brother Rob prayed, to bring us into the new heavens and the new earth. It is the same grace. And it is the same grace that will transform these decaying bodies of ours into his immortal body. On that glorious day when we see him face to face. It is the same grace, beloved, that is sustaining you at home, sustaining you at work, sustaining you in the world as you face opposition. It is the same grace that will sustain his work here in the church. Where opposition may well rise from within and from without. Because Satan is always keeping us busy. So my encouragement to you this Morning is simply this. Whatever hostility you are facing, whatever you find yourself facing this morning, if you are a true follower of Jesus, this grace of God, amazing grace, is available to you. So, what do you do with it? Let it empower you, isn't it? To share the good news of Jesus. At work, wherever you are, draw on this grace. Come to him. Ask him to equip you. Look to his church to support you and rest in his power. Amen.